0: There's your chance. Go ahead, take it.
1: it was a Cause you're Hello and welcome to Keep Off The Borderlands, a podcast about RPGs and stuff. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and in this episode, following on from discussion of dice mechanics in various places, I thought I'd compare the chances of success in some of the various games I've played. But first, a reminder for Movie Monday entries, this month's movie being Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits from 1981. I have a handful of great entries already, but looking forward to receiving more thoughts on this personal childhood favourite of mine. And you can send me those messages through SpeakPipe, email, or via Discord, as detailed in the show notes. To ensure your submission has a chance of making it into the Movie Monday episode, airing on the 29th, I will need to have received it by the 27th. Now, before we get into the main topic, it's message time.
0: Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Just want to call in reference your latest show as far as luck and dice goes, yeah, I see where you're going with that. I don't know. I never had a problem with characters making their own luck, so I think having meta currency to influence the dice or whether that's called luck or something else you know allows for that in some games. luck is effectively your saving throw, so that's kind of what that's used against, and you know some games have that interesting mechanic where as you use your luck to influence a die rolls, your luck goes down, but since your luck is your saving throw, the more you make your own luck, the less likely you're going to successfully make the saving throws against things that happen outside your control. So I think that's kind of interesting. The other way to do it, kind of the way you're talking about how the die roll affects it, is if you instead do a straight pass or fail on the die roll, Say you're rolling a percentile dice or you're rolling a D20, you know, the closer you are to the number needed for success, or the more you roll over that number kind of is a you know, treat as graduated. And that way you can kind of determine how lucky that roll was and how much influence maybe that player should have, or how poorly they should have done, you know, the yes and or no but kind of thing. Just some thoughts.
1: Thanks for your message, Jason. Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, of course. And yes, interesting stuff. I'd forgotten about the fact that saving throws are essentially luck rolls. And more about that later. And yes, your point about graduated results. I'm struggling to think of systems that work that way beyond Powered by the Apocalypse with its degrees of success. But I'm sure there are plenty of games... That you're aware of that do that. On second thoughts, what you were describing there sounds a lot like how luck is used in Call of Cthulhu, where you spend points of luck in order to turn a near miss into a success.
0: As far as four words to describe playstyle, you know, I think maybe four descriptors for playstyle, maybe not single word descriptors useful thing. Daniel's talked about this over Bandits Keep recently as well. And I'm thinking I'm I've been thinking about it. I don't have mine really nailed down. I might do an episode on the 24th of January about this. But to give you something off the top of my head just to give you an answer, we'll go with Mies. Uh, we'll go with meaningful play, meaning that I get to meaningfully influence the world, whether in combats, my actions matter, or my decisions how to combat matter. We'll go with enjoyable. Now, that might be fun. It might be laughing at the table, or it might be enjoyable the way a a horror movie is enjoyable, where it kind of grips you and you're thinking about it afterwards. But it's an enjoyable session. It's one that sucks you in, which is, well, we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, Ease of use, meaning no VTTs to fiddle with. It could be a, a complicated system, but it's a complicated system that's easy to use. Like Rollmaster, is clunky in character creation, and leveling up, but at the table is not bad. So it just depends, but preferably no VTTs, anything like that. Last thing would be you're sucked in, which a lot of people will say is engagement or immersion, but you're not feeling that you have to reach for your phone during the game.
1: Thank you for responding to my request for the descriptors for your favorite style of play. This, of course, ties in with Rich Fraser's Omega 3D Chicken Coop episode where he laid out what he looks for in play. And I'll provide a link to that episode. Oops, getting my giblets in a twist. Rich Fraser's podcast is not the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. It is, of course, Cockatrice Nuggets. Uh, nice choices there, Jason. And yes, I kind of consider that level of enjoyment and engagement to be part and parcel of the same thing. As for that request for descriptors, a similar question was posed over on Between Two Cairns, the Hidden Hand of Hauler episode, in terms of coming up with a helpful name for the OSR, or more specifically those games now considered as NSR, New School Revolution, Brad Kerr's response amused me. Brad's a funny guy and can be somewhat dismissive with his responses to questions. He presents his three styles of play, jokingly categorizing old school play as Doors D&D, because it's all about trying to open doors, find out what's behind doors. And yeah, you can arguably consider that to be their primary focus. Then he goes on to what he calls Fighting D&D, being third edition onwards, so Pathfinder and the like. And then he gets on to his third category, which he calls Sticky Fingers d That, powered by the apocalypse, Blades in the Dark, partial success kind of play, revolves around interpersonal relationships and getting yourself more and more embroiled in stuff i'm paraphrasing here but um yeah he also refers to it as bucket of syrup DD and i'm not paraphrasing there thanks again for your messages jason great stuff Following the last episode, Anthony Runeslinger-Boyd of the Casting Shadows podcast commented on Facebook that the zeitgeist is humming to the song of Dice and shared a link to Ivan Podgwayt's video, a.k.a. Ivan Mike 1968, that he posted on YouTube recently, an episode entitled The D20 Mechanic is not swingy, really. I'll make sure there's a link to that. I mentioned that I touched on this subject around the time Ivan had previously posted about this, a couple of years ago now. I think I was actually responding to a message from Colin Spike Pit Green at the time, but the subject was doing the rounds. Just an aside, I was listening to Ivan talk about our ability or inability to judge the difficulty of a task with any real accuracy. And he said, there's no way I can fail at this unless I trip over my feet and start choking on my saliva at the same time. My immediate thought was, welcome to my world. I'll add a link to that video too, because it kind of ties in with what I'm going to be talking about here. When trying to find that old episode of mine, where I touched on the topic of the suggestion that the D20 is swingy. I heard myself talking about the topic of my last episode, about the role, R-O-L-E, of the dice, and also mentioning that I'd spoken about it in a previous episode as well. So, so much for progress, but at least I'm consistent. I should also mention that Riley of Diegetic Advancement has put out an episode in response to Ivan's recent output. Episode 7, entitled In Defence of the D20. Now, Diegetic Advancement is a great little podcast where Riley explores different aspects of play, which is well worth checking out. So thinking more about skill checks, task resolution and the odds of success. With a quick Google, I found someone called The Conduit on the RPG Design Reddit saying that when Wizards of the Coast were creating 4E, their research showed that the sweet spot for chance of success was considered to be 65 to 70%, lower than that being considered gritty, higher being more pulpy. So I thought I'd consider comparing games and looking at average character stats versus average target numbers. Now I'm going to be looking at games I've played because, well, I've got to draw the line somewhere. And in the case of games like Call of Cthulhu, I'm not going to be getting into the skill system. I'm just going to be considering base stats or characteristics as they're called in that game. For something like Into the Odd, the average ability score is considered to be 10, being a 3D6 stat generation system. You're rolling a D20, and you're looking for equal to or under. So that's a 50-50 split. And those rolls in Into the Odd are called saves. And essentially, the system is all saving throws. Now, with a game like the Black Hack... It's much the same except that's a strictly roll under mechanic bringing the average success of a first level character down to 45%. Thinking of these checks in terms of saving throws, how do they compare to D&D? It seems obvious that when it comes to old school saving throws, you have to roll over the same kind of array of numbers that games like Into the Odd and The Black Hack are asking you to roll under. But the average saving throw in original D D is 14 or higher. Now they're not based on your stats at all. They're based on your class. Which leaves you with only a 35% chance of success. The same again is true for advanced DD. However, in BX or basic DD as it should probably be referred to, it's 11 or higher, being a 50% chance again, bringing it in line with many of the roll equal to or under stat games like Into the Odd. But are we looking at the right thing here? If you consider rolling low ability checks with regards to basic D&D, we are dealing with the same array of numbers. Considering something like 5e, I believe the average or medium. Difficulty class is a target of 15. Rolling high again, which without modifiers, is only a 30% chance of success, which seems quite low to me. But when you factor in that the 4d6 drop the lowest method of generating ability scores, the average then becomes 12, which translates as a plus one modifier, meaning that the chance of success becomes 35% again, bringing it in line with the average chance of a successful saving throw in AD&D, which still seems low. But then again, I haven't played 5th edition and there's probably a whole bunch of stuff I'm not taking into consideration here. Now, does it even make sense to think of averages when it comes to saving throws? Because, well, We're talking about heroes here or exceptional individuals in the context of D&D at least. Your average person doesn't get saving throws because originally they're reserved for circumstances that would spell certain death for the average Joe. But maybe I'm getting a little sidetracked here because that's not really got anything to do with skill checks anymore. I'm no longer comparing like for like. As Jason points out, Saving throws are really the realm of the luck stat. So where to next? Let's look at index card RPG and the target numbers there. The average being 12 as there are 6 stats and 6 points to distribute. The average stat is going to be plus 1. Meaning that a roll of 11 or more is required. Again leaving us with 50% chance of success. More recently, I've been playing Malkborg. Now, abilities are defined by rolling 3d6 that provide modifiers of minus 3 to plus 3, the average being zero. Again, same as ICRPG, we have a difficulty rating of 12 being regarded as normal that you need to roll equal to or higher. But as we can see, your average character doesn't have any modifiers making them a little bit weaker. So it's a straight 45% chance of success. a Cthulhu, and I'm talking 7th edition here, because that's all I know. And as I say, I'm going to look at the characteristics rather than the skill system. And it makes sense to consider 50 as the average they're rolling equal to or under. It's a 50% chance of success. Because it's primarily... A skill system, it feels a lot less forgiving because you're very rarely rolling against your character's characteristics. So maybe I shouldn't even be mentioning it here. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into how difficult a game can be, not least of all how often such roles are being called for. This can be a huge factor. I've seen the Year Zero engine being criticised for being unforgiving in this respect, and it coming down to how often rolls are being called for. It's a D6 dice pool system where you're looking for sixes for success. Now I have a few free lead games that use the Year Zero engine, but I haven't played any of them. However, looking at Fairson, a normal action requires one success. A middle-aged person has 14 points to distribute across four attributes. Rounding down, this makes an average of three for an attribute, meaning that even for an unskilled skill check, you're rolling three dice on average, giving you 42% chance of success. Interestingly, even looking at my own Pith system, a very light 2d6 system that I cobbled together, that also has a 42% chance of rolling a success, the 8 or above that's required for passing a moderate challenge. And then there are games like Cthulhu Dark, where you can't really fail. You're rolling a single d6, and you're looking for degrees of success, but if you roll a 6, you get more than you bargained for. There's a little more to the system than that but that's essentially what's at the heart of it incidentally you can hear a great explanation of that system on Grizzly Peaks Radio episode 1 of Plague of Falls a actual play that I played in that was run by Scott Dawood. At the beginning of that episode he explains the entire rules for Cthulhu dark and um, I had great fun playing that game Now, what does this all mean? Well, it would seem that there's not really an awful lot in it. From my experience of playing these games, a D20 doesn't feel nearly as swingy as a percentile system, but as we know, that's something of an illusion anyway. Unless we're using the dice in a more granular manner, of course, which is rarely the case. If a game feels unforgiving, it's probably got more to do with what I'm being asked to roll for and what may or may not happen if I fail that roll rather than having anything whatsoever to do with the actual odds of the roll itself. Well that's quite enough from me thank you very much for listening I really appreciate all the messages I receive if you'd like to contact me you can leave an audio message via speakpipe.com slash keep off the borderlands or one word or you can email me at spencer.freethrow@gmail.com. at gmail.com you can also find me in a variety of other places, as detailed in the show notes. If you enjoy the show, a review would certainly be much appreciated. Music for Keep Off The Borderlands is provided by the multi-talented Mr. TJ Drennan. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.